from the library. Today I'm going to be talking about the classic American novel, American Psycho, written by Brett Easton Ellis. The book was published in 1991. It's not Ellis's first book, but it's probably the one he's most known for because it has been turned into, into the 2000 film with Christian Bale, which was his kind of, not his first role, but his kind of the role that set him into the trajectory he is now. And I really, really think that film shows how intense he is as an actor and how talented he is. Because I remember reading even the fact that he could sweat on command with the business card scene. You see him constantly sweating whenever a business card's pulled up. I think that really shows just the level of Christian Bale's acting. But I'll talk more about the movie in a little bit. Brett Easton Ellis is probably, is one of the newest writers I've gotten into. American Psycho is the first book I read from him and I actually just finished it. And is absolutely captivating. I know a lot of people don't like the novel because it's slower. I'll talk more about that also. But I found his writing to be nothing like I've ever seen before. And I found it absolutely fantastic. I'll definitely be checking out more of his work. And I highly suggest you do too. The book, it does have a lot of controversy behind it. And I understand why. I mean, it's, it's a very graphic novel. The movie, I think, only scratches the surface of the violence and the mentality of Patrick. Uh, Bateman, who's the main character, I don't even think the movie comes close to what um, Patrick does in the novel. I mean, even something like the chainsaw murder of the prostitute in the movie doesn't happen. He actually tortures her for tortures her for days in the book. So it's a very different, very graphic, and it's a very uncomfortable book to read. But it's really good. The writing is fantastic, and just. The idea of getting into Patrick's head and understand, well, not fully understanding, but I think you learn about more of him, his mentality, and his clear mental illness, disorder, whatever is going on in his mind. I definitely think you learn more about it through the novel and its slow pace. So it's a very controversial novel. It's actually banned in many places. I know in Australia, it can only come um wrapped in plastic you can only buy it in plastic and you have to show id to get because you can only get it if you're 18 plus but in america we don't have that but i do know many schools don't let you read it in there which is i understand is probably not the book i'd want my kids to, to read but um like in school it's pretty graphic but it actually was um the publishing house that published ellis's first couple books did not want to publish american psycho and it actually had to go to a new publishing company and that's how he went through with it. And then finally in 1991, it was released. And I definitely think it's a novel that's going to stick with you. If you have read it or if you plan to read it, it is one. Not, not I might give you nightmares. It, it didn't for me, but just like you sit there and you really think about like, oh gosh, like I'm, I'm really in this man's mind and knowing every small waking detail of his life. So people do find it boring. I mean, the movie is only about 90 minutes long the book is almost 400 pages so the pace is very different but I do find his writing to be something like I've never seen before I mean there's a title I would say probably like a third of the way in-ish it's titled a glimpse of a Thursday afternoon and it's Patrick having a panic attack and you're in his mind and he's on the phone with someone and he's talking and the whole chapter is one long paragraph there's no break between the dialogue with the conversation or what he's thinking you're just going and you're going and you're going it's like four pages of just non-stop reading without any break and it really makes you dive deep into him having a panic attack I mean I've read books with characters having panic attacks 
and many of them just say like and he was having a panic attack or he or he his palms are sweaty or his heart was being really fast but the pace that this chapter goes is it just it like thrusts you into Patrick's mind and his mentality and how rapid his thoughts are going which I thought was really cool and very interesting it's not something I've really seen before in other books another thing with the writing is yes it's slow but the scene changes are very quick if you are not paying attention you're going to miss it because like there's one scene when he's picking up a prostitute and they're in the car and they're having a conversation and all of a sudden it goes and then we were at my apartment and there's no ellipses None of the dashes that usually show a passage of time or a set, uh, setting change. It's just very quick. If you don't pick up on it, you're not going to realize how many times the setting is changing throughout the book, which I find very interesting. And it's also, I think, kind of stems into Patrick's psychology and his mind that he's not always thinking of details like that. Is he's not going to give you these grand things is kind of like okay you have to pay attention to me because I am the main character of the story I'm the narrator you're in my mind if you're not paying attention to me well too bad you're not going to understand what's happening I think it kind of plays into his narcissism and how he acts and how he treats people and how he thinks of himself so I find that very interesting that's very if you're not paying attention to what Patrick is saying you're going to miss something and I find that very interesting an intriguing and unique way of writing something so, so simple as a scene change. Where I know me as a writer, I love my little like symbols between the paragraphs to show like scenes or time has changed. Where this, it's not always broken up by chapters. It is simply by Patrick saying, and now we're here or now we're there. And I find that very interesting writing style. And it's, so he'll go slow with a lot of these things and he'll drag on and talk about what everyone is wearing and what everyone is eating and go into in-depth about people's ties and pocket squares. But then something important will happen. If you don't pick up on it, it's gone because in Patrick's mind, either that's not important to him because someone's suit is more important or his suit's more important or the sex is more important or the murder is more important than when, than when and where it's happening. And I do find that extremely interesting, but please also let me know how you think about that. I know I've met people that are like, yeah, no, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I found it very tedious or annoying where I have to admit I found it very interesting how quickly scenes would change even like between sentences, even in the same paragraph sometimes. So I found that very interesting. I also, there was also another thing that usually point of views are very distinct and you know exactly who is talking and who is not and you and you're supposed to know whether it's a changing point of view and the chapter title has say the person's name which I read something so it's like say Stephen and John they both share the point of view and chapter one they'll say Stephen at the top and that's his point of view and the next one will say John and that's his point of view so on page 394 something very interesting happens the point of view changes and you have the very distinct on where you know it's first person third person so on and so forth but on page 394 of the novel it switches and you have Patrick saying and please excuse my language I mother ocean screamed drive but he's terrified oh don't shoot me man don't shoot I impatiently mother fuck yourself and I raise the gun to his face pulling the trigger the bullet splatters his head opens cracks in half in the dark like a dark watermelon against the windshield and I reach over to him open the door pull out the corpse slam the door and start driving 
Then there's dot, dot, dot. A new paragraph starts with dot, dot, dot. In the adrenaline rush. And it goes again. I've been there to the Japanese restaurant with the Japanese clients. And the body of the cashier thudding against the hood of the car because he hits the man with the car. And all of a sudden, Patrick tries to put the cab in reverse, but nothing happens. He staggers out of the cab, leaning against it. A nerve-wracking silence follows. Nice going, Bateman, he mutters. Limping out of the store, the body on the hood moaning in agony. Patrick, with no idea where the cops, running towards him across the street, had come from. He's yelling something into his walkie-talkie, thinking Patrick is stunned. But Patrick surprises him by lunging out before the cop can get his gun, and he knocks him over on the sidewalk. So it's very interesting that it literally is a comma that separates the two points of view. He's talk- Patrick is talking and narrowing himself how he's going on this murdering spree. He shoots the cab driver. Then he hits someone with his car. Now he's lunging at a cop, and all of a sudden, boom. It's third-person point of view. That continues to the bottom of 351. And it's very interesting. He keeps going. Patrick does this. Patrick does that. And every paragraph starts with these ellipses. And all of a sudden, at the bottom... Of 351 going on to 352, it says nodding towards Gus, R, night watchman, signing in, heading up the elevator, higher towards the darkness of his floor, eventually restore the safe anatomy of my new office. Able with a shaking hand to pick up the cordless phone, I look at my Rolex, exhausted, eyes falling. So it's very interesting how suddenly there's like three pages of it turning to a third-person point of view, and maybe I'm thinking a little bit more into it, and please, that is a completely justified thing that I'm looking into, or maybe I read it wrong, but I kept reading this over and over again, that all of a sudden, like, as Patrick is again having this absolute mental breakdown because he's going on this murdering spree, and every murder that happens, it was only like one or two at a time when he did it, and they were always in the confines of his home or in an alley where no one can see him. And now he's doing them out in the open. And this is before he goes up to his building. And then there, that iconic scene of him on his phone talking to his lawyer. And he confessed to old murder. He goes, and I just killed a lot of people. So now you know how it is. And there's like that really um, scene that was kind of big in the movie. And it's big in the book too. But it's very interesting how it goes to Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. And then switches back to I and R and this and that and it kind of raises the question is Patrick 100% there clearly he's not but I feel like this is the moment where he realizes that he has gone down such a spiral that there's no coming back to it I mean because like there's that opening scene in the movie and it actually happens a little bit later in the book the book doesn't open with the scene but in the movie, it's very close to the beginning. And it says, there's an image of Patrick Bateman, but I'm just simply not there. And Patrick knows that there's something wrong with him. And he does. And that's the signs of a psychopath. The psychopaths understand that what they're doing is wrong and they still keep doing it. Compared to a sociopath that doesn't always understand what they're doing is wrong. And I find that very interesting because Patrick says R. And then he talks about himself in the third person and then switches back to, oh, I. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. All within a couple of pages of one another and there's no big break to show that this is happening it's pretty much in the middle of paragraphs as he's having this murder spree mental spiral out of control and all these paragraphs are broken up with ellipses so no paragraph is properly starting or ending and I think that that shows 
Patrick is forgetting what's happening. There's lapse in his memory. Perhaps he's blocking out. Or I did read this theory once on Reddit. I mean, Reddit ha- has some interesting theories out there. You can't take everything they say for granted. That maybe he does have something like DID or bipolar or split personality to the extreme that he will do something like this because there are people that have DID not saying everyone, but there are some extreme cases that have it. So people are saying maybe it's not that he's not a psychopath, but he has these extreme mental illnesses that maybe there's another version of himself. And that's why he has this sudden shift in how he acts. Because even in the movie, you see his murder spree kind of comes out of nowhere. It's kind of like like uh, this epic, almost like street fights that you see like in a Batman movie, but you don't, you see in the streets of New York, it's very interesting that just like a businessman's doing it. So I find that very interesting that there's that theory that it could be in his mind and he could have thought all of it, or there could be another personality within him, or truly is he's just a psychopath and he's having these blackouts in his memory and he can't remember everything he's done, which I think are all three very valid theories about the book. And I think all of them are explored and can be explored further in debates and topics and different looks at the book. This kind of raises the question, I think, is Patrick is an extreme man. I mean, I there's no doubt about it. He, the way he acts, the way he talks, how seriously he takes something like business cards. I mean, I love a good business card, but I'm not going to break out into a sweat and murder people like Patrick does over business cards. And I find it very interesting that when I looked deeper into how Patrick acts and how he thinks about different things, not not about murder and stuff like that, but how he thinks about sex and clothes and work and impressing people, I found that very interesting and very similar to the way how we uh, act and think now. Back in the 70s, you had something called yuppie culture, which is a young urban professionals or young upwardly mobile pe- professional. And it was... Uh, coined in the 70s and the 80s and in the movie and in the book you have Patrick saying that he wants to kill all yuppies even though he is the definition of one I mean if you look up yuppie you're gonna actually see Patrick Bateman and that was the whole book is a critique on the yuppie culture and when looking up yuppies and how they acted it's very similar to kind of like the hipsters but yuppies were more into the economics law wall street and hipsters are more into like art music like coffee shops so kind of different but those are the most similar you can get them to one another just young people living in the city working but with the way patrick thinks if you read the book and i wish i took a tally of how many times he referenced the designer brand especially armani I would probably say it has to be thousands and thousands of times. I mean, I think Armani is mentioned at least once every page. And, like, he doesn't have a tie. He has a silk limited edition Armani tie. He doesn't have have just a t-shirt. It's a Brooke Brothers shirt. And it's just this obsession on labels. And not just, like, Old Navy or or H&M. They're very expensive, high-designer brands. And he's obsessed with them, like absolutely obsessed with them to the point where he has um, sex with this woman, Bethany, and he ends up killing her. And earlier in the night, she asks if his suit is um, Garrick Anderson, which is another designer. 
And he's like, oh, no, no, it's Armani. And as he is murdering her, he's calling her a stupid bitch and saying that it's Armani, it's Armani, like my Sue is Armani and you didn't understand that, you stupid bitch. And he's going on, he's having this murderous rage and it seems to all be linked to the fact that she didn't know what designer brand his suit was. And even something like um, when he gets his hair cut, he says, like, oh, Marcus and I go to the same barber. I just have a slightly better haircut. So their haircut, their business cards, the pens they use, the suits, the briefcases, the overnight bags. I mean, he's pulling Paul Allen after he murdered him in a um, bag, like an overnight bag, he's putting him in a cab. And this guy that he works with is like, oh, that's a lovely bag. Like, where'd you get it? Not realizing that this this designer bag is being used as a body bag to transport a deceased Paul Allen. There is a difference between the yuppies back then and kind of the hipsters or the new age, like people my age now, but we still have this obsession with designer brands. I mean, like Ralph Lauren... And Armani are not big with my age group. I mean, like, I love Ralph Lauren. I love stuff like that. But those are more, like, old money brands. They're not really labeled brands. But if you know, you know. I mean, it's very easy if you know Ralph Lauren to know exactly what his sweaters look like. If you're someone that shops at Armani, you're going to know exactly what those suits look like. But now, very big is Gucci, Supreme. We have these same obsessions with designer brands that the yuppies did back then we're just manifesting them differently and we're using them different ways I mean like everyone's had the Michael Kors like infinity bag I believe it's called that was their Armani suits back then all the men in that movie have Armani suits and many women now have Michael Kors bags so I find that very interesting that the way we view designer brands and how quickly we will display them and correct someone if they're wrong about it and then brag about it is no real different than what Patrick does with his suits or with his ties or the fact that he has to list what every single person is wearing. I mean, he'll walk into a business meeting and point out what every single person is wearing down to their suspenders. And he knows the names of all of them as if he's been quizzed about it. I find that very interesting because we haven't become any less shallow with how we dress ourselves and the brands we use. And I find that very interesting because we like to think, oh, no, we're not all about designer brands and we don't need those. But really, we kind of are and we're no real different than how Patrick saw designer brands. I think that's very interesting. Another thing I found very interesting about Patrick was his extreme exercise and personal hygiene to make his body perfect and look perfect. And that's when he says, like, you have the idea and the image of a Patrick Bateman, but he's not really there. And that's the iconic scene of him pulling off the face mask and you see him just staring, like, dead into the mirror. And I find that very, I thought, like, the first thing I thought about when reading that was, like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like my friend who has the 20-step Korean beauty, like, cosmetics. And she does them, like, three times a day. I just found that very interesting that... We say, like, this stuff, like, yeah, like, I'm not into makeup or not that. But women and men still spend so much money on these beauty products. I find it very interesting. And I just thought about that, like, he'll list, even in the movie, every single 
body scrub, soap, shampoo, non, and he'll even say like non-alcoholic because alcohol dries out your skin and makes you look old. I find that very interesting because he's approaching this meticulous schedule every day and it's supposed to be a sign of him being a psychopath that he does this and he does that and it's very particular and it's very like almost anal how he's doing it and yet I know so many people do the same thing every day and I find it very interesting that many people the same morning routine as Patrick Bateman and have the same nightly routine I find that very interesting something I also want to point out and then there is this small minute detail on page 53 and I thought that was so funny because I have many friends that are obsessed with true cop uh, like true crime podcasts and serial killers and I find it very interesting that on page uh uh, 153 even Patrick's friends point out like do you know a lot about serial killers and he says no I don't like I don't I find that very interesting because then like in the movie he even says oh he's into murders and executions and like no one really like says anything about it or thinks much about it I just find it very interesting that his friends know he has this upset well not even his friends the people he hangs out with because there's a difference between the people you hang out with and friends and I think that definitely shows a lot in this book that Patrick doesn't have friends he's people he hangs out with because none of them really seem close or care about one another I mean they're too busy kind of like comparing each other and trying to get reservations places I mean it doesn't really seem like they're friends or they know each other much on that detail um level than just like the kind of basics but I find it very interesting that even his friends have pointed out that he has this obsession with serial killers and murders and executions. And then they kind of move on from it. I mean, like, I know, like, now it's very normal to be into that stuff because we have so many, like, criminal minds, blue bloods. Then you have the true crime podcast. And you have so many shows that revolve around murders and crime solving that kind of now it's not even like a cult following. It's a ba- It's like an overall big thing. But back in the 70s, it wasn't as big as it was if anything like people were very scared of serial killers because you had like the stories of Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and stuff like that going around I find it very interesting that no one really bats an eye that he is into this stuff and that he openly talks about how much he knows about serial killers in this one scene and then no one even mentions it and then even later on as he's talking to a gene over um his secretary and he even says something about Ted Bundy and she goes oh who's Ted Bundy and he says oh like ignore it it's nothing so I find that very interesting that even with the way he speaks he doesn't hide the fact that he is into serial killers and these murders I find it very interesting that if I if I was around someone and they and they spoke about serial killers and then it was then like all of a sudden Paul Allen disappeared, who you knew Patrick wasn't in, like, wasn't a fan of, and all these random people just start disappearing, and all, and Patrick's acting weird, and this and that, like, I feel like eventually you put two and two together, but maybe that's just me, because I know the ending of the story, and I know hopefully better than the people there. I find that very interesting, that no one really says anything about that, and they kind of leave it at that, and then the last thing that I saw that was Probably the biggest lesson we can learn from American Psycho, aside from don't kill people, because I feel like that's a very big lesson. Like, no, like, don't kill people, that's bad. The whole thing is about Patrick being 
in this job he doesn't like on Wall Street. And he dresses the same as everyone. His haircut is very similar to everyone. Everyone wears the same suits. They work in the same office, like X, Y, and Z. And he's even mistaken for this guy, Marcus, multiple times throughout the novel to the fact that even Paul Allen, before he was murdered, calls him Marcus again. And even as they're out to dinner, says that, like, oh, Marcus, don't you know that Patrick, he's such a loser. Like, and he's insulting Patrick to his face, which I think if Paul could go back in time, I think he would definitely, like, not do that and change that. But I find it very interesting that I've learned very recently that if you push people into a box they're eventually going to snap whether it's they go into a depressive state or they drastically change their lifestyle or they have anger management issues just if you contain someone and you force someone to be somewhere they don't want doing something they don't want and you hold them to this box and they can't leave this box, whether it's metaphorically or physically, they're eventually going to lose it and they're going to snap. I mean, like, that's why, like, I read books, I write, I exercise, I do different things to keep myself from that. But I also know that other people can't. I think that is one of the reasons why Patrick loses his mind. Because he's doing a job he doesn't like. I mean, he never really works in the book, he's always out to dinner, or he's just sitting in his office watching TV, or he's, or he's dealing with relationships or sex and stuff. He's never really working. I find that very interesting because he doesn't like his job. He doesn't like the people he's around. He doesn't like his fiance. He doesn't like the woman he's sleeping with. He doesn't like any of these things. The only thing he likes is the murdering. So I find that very interesting that the life he has has forced him into this box and he has to go to these extremes to feel anything, any sort of passion or anger or sadness, anything he has to feel has to come from this murder spree that he goes on. I find that to like an extreme version of what we are to the average person. But if you force someone into a box where they don't want to be and you force them to be like other people and you force them to be like cookie cutters, which in the movie everyone's a cookie cutter of one another, no one really has much depth to them. I know a lot of people complain that, oh, the females, at least in the movie, have more depth. But I argue that no one really has any depth aside from Patrick because everyone's the same. Like every, everyone is. I find that if you put people into these box. They're going to snap and they're going to lose out. And whether they do something or even like we see like with these people that go on like or people that commit suicide or is another way people snap. If they can't get out of this box, they take matters into their own hands. That's one extreme of the spectrum. And then the other side extreme of the spectrum it means you have these murderers that are like, well, I just want attention. I mean, if you talk about like school shooters or gang violence, that's another extreme of people trying to break out of this system of this cookie cutter, whether it's school or work where they can't get out of. And so those are two extreme sides of the spectrum. And 99.999% of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And I find that very interesting that the book, I think, highlights that the most. I think it's overlooked by thinking that Patrick is just a psycho. No, I think Patrick had to be normal at one point or as close to normal as he could be. And then one day something eventually had to snap that caused him to be very violent because even the first murder he does with the homeless man is very violent. 
all of them are and you can't just do that overnight so something had to have snapped in his psyche in his mind that caused him to be like that and I definitely think the box he's been placed in is one of the reasons why and going off that needing attention and feeling something I think the main difference between the yuppie culture then and kind of the hipster culture we have now is we've traded money for fame I mean we all want to be wealthy but the power viral TikToks have or viral videos have. I mean, we saw it with Vine and YouTube. I think it's kind of culminated to what TikTok is now. I remember seeing this trend as I was actually reading American Psycho. I saw this trend on that TikTok that got exposed and there's people helping animals. And there was this huge investigation that turned out most of them are staged. And it's these people hurting these animals. And then like, oh no, I rescued this animal. Like, look, I helped these these ducks fell into an oil pan was the one I saw and then she just happened to have all the materials and I found out it was fake and she had actually dumped these ducks in the oil and then she went and rescued them and saved them and cleaned up and now she raises them so I found that very interesting that people are going to this extent to TikTok that they're willing to hurt animals they're willing to hurt other people they're willing to embarrass or humiliate others and even themselves in this sadistic or masochist way of getting fame, I find that there's not real difference. The the drive that people have now to be TikTok famous or YouTube sensation is no different than Patrick's obsession with money. And I think it's kind of just that's probably the biggest difference between hipsters and yuppies is the difference between now we value a tense, our 10 seconds of fame on TikTok rather than money that Patrick and the yuppies did back then. And I definitely find that the most interesting about all of them. Now, there is a couple of differences between the books and the movie. Like I said, the movie is faster paced. If you want like an adrenaline rush, watch the movie. If you are also not a big reader, you can pretty much watch the movie and understand the whole story. The movie is less violent because I don't what Patrick does in the book is not appropriate to do in the movie I mean you would have gotten a slash rating which is a box office killer and even then um it did get rated R which is not a huge box office killer but definitely limits your market but um the movie is much faster pace um the book is a lot more spread out and violent and the book also lists a lot of things the movie does not talk as much about designer brands but you see them I mean even the famous don't touch the watch which is in the movie is actually don't touch the Rolex, but the Rolex did not Rolex did not want their watch being associated with Bateman's um, top choice for watches. So the movie does not talk that much about designer brands and Patrick's obsession with them, but you can see in the way the movie is that he always is in these very nice suits and he's even in a tuxedo in one scene. So you do get a sense of it, but I feel like the book really drives that home. But the book also doesn't have to worry about the rights where movies do, because uh, the difference, and maybe I'll talk about one day, is the difference between books and movies with um, laws and trademarks and sponsors is very different, and it's much stricter in movies and within the budget and the legal terms on what, who can be talked about, what can be talked about, and more likely you'll get sued in movies rather than books for what you talk about, and that's also a very much more in-depth topic that maybe we'll bring up another time. Um, but I think the main difference between the book and the movie is that in 
the book, there's always a reason why someone doesn't hear Patrick's threats. Where in the movie... It play in the movie. You can walk away with it either being it's all in Patrick's head or it's really happening. I mean, like when he's talking to the waitress in the first when he's at the bar, in the first scene, right before the bathroom scene, he's talking to the waitress and he tries to give her a ticket. And she says it's a cash only bar, and when she turns her back, he talks about how he wants to kill her. And you see the mirror version of Patrick say that you don't see. Well, you see the beginning. Of it, you see Patrick actually saying it, and then you see the mirror version of Patrick saying it the most. I find that very interesting. There's not always a reason why someone doesn't hear him. Or even um, in the movie, I mean, Christian Bale is absolutely fantastic. You'll see Patrick break his facade every once in a while. You see the dry cleaners and how quickly he'll change from back and forth and how... There's always a... And, like, how in the movie he says, like, to the woman, I can't remember... She was, um, I know they say she was speaking, uh, an Asian language, but I can't remember which one she was speaking. And he's directly telling her, like, I want these stains out of my sheets. And he, she's not understanding him. And she keeps speaking, um, the language she doesn't understand. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. Like, just understand me. Like, why don't you understand me? And you could tell he's clearly annoyed and angry and also slightly panicked because he has these gigantic blood stained sheets. And then all of a sudden someone else comes in and he like acts all proper and this and that and then as he's walking out you see his face break very slightly i think that just shows christian bale and his performance but in the book there's always a reason why someone does not hear him i mean he'll be at the club and he'll say something to someone like oh i like to dissect girls but because the club music is so loud and it's even noted in the book that's the excuse on why people didn't hear him and even when he's talking to evelyn about how um the only pleasure he gets is from murdering people and how he needs... And that's the only thing that gives him any feeling or life or anything. He even says, oh, well, she's crying too loud. She can't hear me. So there's always a reason why someone in the book doesn't hear him. Where in the movie, it's very ambiguous. You have the bar scene where he he's talking loud enough that the cashier should hear him. But she doesn't respond to him. Or... With the way he talks to people about serial killers or how he likes murders and executions when he's talking to the people at the club. No one really seems to ever react to him or at least not react to him appropriately. So that also kind of raises the question, did these people hear him or not? But in the book, there's always a very distinct reason why they don't. And it's stated, Ellis flats out says it, that this is the reason why they did not hear him or why no one reacted to this. When in the movie, they leave it more ambiguous, which I find sets two very different precedents for book readers and movie readers that they're getting two very different theories of the book and Patrick's behavior. And I find that very interesting, probably the biggest difference between the book and the movie and what it is. Although the movie, I have to get props to, it's probably one of the best book-to-movie adaptations I have seen. They stayed very true to the novel while also making it different, more appropriate for the big screen and also because... They only had a budget of, I believe, $7 million, and most of it went actually to the music rights that they had to pay for. So what, what, they, what they did with the budget they had was absolutely fantastic, and I have to really give props to the prop designer and the prop master because really to drive home the image and the theme that all these men are kind of the same with the yuppie culture is if you look at their business cards, all of them have the same number. So next time you see the movie, like really like 
hone in on that because I found that very interesting. And I didn't pick up on it at first. And it wasn't until um he holds the cards side by side do you realize that the movies, that the numbers are the same. And that's not something that's talked about in the book because, again, you're in Patrick's mind. He's more worried about the font, the watermark, the coloring, the thickness of the card. And that's something that wouldn't happen realistically in the book because the book is, I feel like, wouldn't have even thought about that because it's not something you would think of when you're looking at a business card. He was more worried about the font and the look. And I feel like that was just a little nod to the culture that they were in. I really like that with the prop master when they take their own ideas and symbolism within. I feel like that is something where if you didn't pick up on it, it's not going to make or break the movie. I mean, you can watch it and never realize that, and, it, and the movie will still be the same. But if you picked up on that, I think it adds just another depth and level to the messages and the themes in the movie. And I also found it um, very funny when researching this book. And uh, Ellis, I learned that he got so much hate for this book. And to a level, I really don't think any fiction writer has in the recent years with, with the release of a book. I mean, like, yeah, there are some that are not well-liked, but I think so many people thought that Brett was in support of what Patrick does. And I think this is, book is a prime example of separating the author from the work. I mean, no one, no one should aspire to be like Patrick I mean you can aspire to have his physique I mean he was very in shape he was good looking he was rich I mean you could aspire to be like that but to aspire to be mentally deranged mentally not there a psychopath who murders people and eventually leads to his own demise I mean that's not something to idolize and I find it very interesting that people many times when your main character is not always supposed to be the good guy and I think this it's probably one of the first books I've read that really like drives at home. And you're not supposed to be rooting for this guy, even though he's a narrator and you're following his story. You want him to be stopped and you want the detective to catch him and you want these people to be avenged. And I think many people reading the book were getting angry at Patrick and taking on Brett Easton Ellis. And I think this is a very big thing of separating the author from the work because Brett Easton Ellis has even come out saying like, yeah, he's not a good guy. And everyone knows Patrick's not a good guy. And so it's not like Ellis was talking about how it was good what Patrick was doing. I mean, the whole book is a critique on yuppie culture and also not idolizing Patrick's murders. I mean, people make jokes about like, yeah, but when you really get into it, what Patrick does it is disgusting. And it's not something that Ellis aspires to be like. So I think people reacted the way they did and treated um, Ellis the way he did is because Patrick is the main character, not the side character. And usually rule of thumb is supposed to root for the main character in the movies and you don't. You don't want to root for Patrick. And so it really is the difference between separating the author from the work because, I mean, I have met wonderful people, like the sweetest people. I mean, one of my, one of my closest friends, she is so sweet and she writes the best villains and the darkest villains. And I definitely think... There is that, that art and writing isn't always what the writer supports. I mean, like, you, you can write a book and have someone that is extremely racist in the book, 
that doesn't mean you support that. It means that that's just what the character is. That is that character's flaw, their issue, their whatever you want to call it. You can also have a character that robs a bank or abuses a child. That doesn't mean you support that. It means that's what that character is and that is what they do. And whether you like it or not or you support that or not, it's okay for a character to do something an author or the audience doesn't like because we're not supposed to root all the time for everyone. And I definitely think that. So a lot of thoughts about American Psycho. And I'll probably even have more when I think about it more because I kind of just I just finished reading it. Then I wrote the script and then I wanted then I recorded this because I wanted this to be my first official book review because American Psycho is the book I just finished. And it definitely is one I'm going to remember. I definitely realize, and my friend always said, if you're going to do a podcast, start off with something controversial so you get the clicks. So I'm hoping American Psycho is controversial enough to get me the clicks. And maybe I'll do a follow-up. Maybe I have someone else on the talks about, because I definitely would love to circle back and revisit uh, books that I have read in the past, and even this one maybe in a later season of this. But I want to thank everyone for joining in and tuning in. Maybe I brought something new to the table. You didn't read about the book. And if you've read the book and you have something that I didn't talk about, please let me know. I would love to have you on. We can talk about it again or even just in the comment section. Like, I would love to hear your thoughts on about thoughts about it and on it. Where it's the book, it's the movie, anywhere in between. The really bad spinoff, American Psycho 2, which I think just proves the reason why you should not make sequels have movies they're not meant to have sequels so i will be back next week and i'm hoping to see you guys again next week i'm going to be reading unmasked by journalist andy no i'll be talking about what journalism is the state of it in america what a journalist should do and how they should hold their job and the difference between journalism commentating and activism because recently those lines have been blurred and they're very distinct differences so tune in next week that's the book i'll be talking about and then the following week i'll be reading there's a tale to the city and talking about different street writers and talking about those three amazing writers that wrote this book so those are the next two weeks and we have even more after that so stay tuned and i hope to see you guys again thank you so much for tuning in i'm really hoping that this podcast starts to create community we can have more people on so keep reading if you have any recommendations for books that you want me to talk about or that you want to be on the podcast and talk about with me, please let me know. I'm always open to having guests. Thank you so much.